I think the easiest way to spot a villain is, of course, the color of their lightsaber. Of course, of course. It's red. Run. Run. <laughs> Welcome to The Workplace, where we talk about the cultures we work in and how to make them better for everyone. I'm Andrew Scarcella. This episode, we're talking with Pete Shepard of Human Periscope about the trickiest concept of leadership, how to develop better leaders, and what it really means to be a great leader in times of crisis. Stick around after the interview for tangible takeaways, where we break down the big ideas from the interview into bite-sized morsels you can use to shape your own workplace culture. Pete Shepard is the founder of Human Periscope, where he helps people see the things they can't so they can change their corner of the world. He's a leader, speaker, and fellow podcaster who's worked with CEOs, best-selling authors, founders, and senior leaders from the likes of Google, Slack, GBG, and Westpac. He also serves as head coach at Seth Godin's online leadership program, The Alt-MBA. His podcast is The Long and the Short of It, a self-proclaimed podcast for curious people, which he co-hosts with Jen Waldman. And not that he needs a plug from us, but pop on over and give it a listen. was interviewed by me, and his easygoing charisma was a perfect match for my laid-back smartassery. Let's get to it. Pete, welcome to the workplace. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Pleasure to be here. So I'd like to start with a question that we're asking all of our guests this season. What was your first job, and do you remember what the culture was like there? Oof. My first job was a paper round when I was, I guess, like 14 or 15 when you can legally get a job here in Australia. And I got a job as the local paper boy. So it's funny, the culture <laughs> was very autonomous. Yeah. It was, it was one of empowerment, I would say. You popped down to the, the newsagent on a, on a Friday morning, picked up your batch of newspapers and then I guess you were empowered Mm -hmm. in your own way between Friday morning and the end of the day Friday to have delivered on your route the papers to the local residents. So I guess the culture was, yeah, one of empowerment, one of autonomy, one of, you know, very much like execute on the vision however you would like. But at the time, I definitely didn't think of it like that. It was more just, I'm just going to hop on my bike and deliver some papers. So, No, probably not. Yeah, most people don't have a concept of what a, a right. workplace culture is until a little bit later in life. But it's, it's fun to look back and think, you know, how did that set the tone for all yeah. subsequent jobs? Is, is this, was this the benchmark or was this just like, you know, just another step? I'm just going to say, I don't think it was deliberate, but I see now that, you know, in, in a great workplace culture, I would say that sense of autonomy, that sense of, 
you know, having a mission and a vision, but being empowered to execute it in your own way is, you know, really a key part of an effective culture. I don't think that was what they were trying to do back then when we were delivering papers, but I can see it now in hindsight. <laughs> no, and, and it seems like that's what you've gravitated towards in your adult life as well. You, you, you have a fairly autonomous culture right now, right? As a it's true. CEO of Human Periscope. Yeah. So in addition to being a CEO, your, t- your other title is head coach. Uh, what mm. made you want to coach leaders of all things? Why not coach rugby? <laughs> well, I don't quite have the body shape for rugby, first of all. I'm a bit too skinny and narrow. But I think that the, the reason I gravitated towards coaches is, is probably the reason we gravitate towards anything, which is based on our experiences that we have growing up, based on the people we're exposed to, the jobs that we get, the conversations that we have and the, and the leaders that we meet along the way. I think my, my journey was one of, I was very fortunate and very much <laughs> an imposter in that I got to meet and work with and sort of collaborate with really quite senior people at a very young age. So one example is I, I did an internship at the at the local, oh, sorry, at the state government here in, in Melbourne. And one of the events that we ran was with Prince William. So I was a, you know, 19, 20 year old kid trying to help Prince William on his visit to Victoria. And so I got oh, wow. immediately exposed. Yeah. At an early age, I was exposed to like really senior leaders running and, and, and dealing with kind of pretty significant events. And over the years, I, I spent more and more time with CEOs and, and executives, again, in positions that as a 20, 21, 22-year-old, I probably had no right to be. But that shaped my skill set to be, oh, I see how effective leadership can and could look like. And I have a real interest and I'm a bit of a nerd in that I have a real interest in, in breaking that down and looking at culture and looking at leadership. So that sort of I guess that worldview that I've had based on my experiences just kind of naturally led me to coaching and helping leaders as opposed to if I had a bunch of stories, I guess, or experiences around rugby, to use your example, then perhaps I would be a rugby coach. But my, my experiences were, were just kind of in that leadership and, and work space. What does practice look like for leaders? When you're a coach, do you have them run drills? <laughs> I think it's a it's a great question because it's a little bit it's probably a little bit different than say a rugby coach where you might have drills where you you know pass the ball around and do laps. The thing that comes to mind with rugby versus leadership is rugby requires a lot of hard skills. Like there is a there is a real hard skill and a technique to passing a ball, running in a line in a formation as a team. Leadership is a little bit different. I think leadership is a choice. Leadership is a practice and a skill set that we can hone, that everyone can hone every single day. And traditionally, I think we would call a lot of these skills soft skills and, you know, things like empathy and generosity and care and decision making. And what I think is happening more and more is there are companies, leaders, workplaces realizing that these soft skills, I want to put them in air quotes because they're actually kind of like the real human skills that we need in leaders. Yeah, it makes them seem and, a little less important when you call them soft skills, but they're probably exactly. more important than whatever hard skills they have. Exactly, exactly. And so to answer your question about drills, there's, 
there's a, a posture and a practice of showing up to be curious and empathetic, for example, would be one, but there's no like, here is a 12-step program in getting more empathetic. It's, it's sort of horses for courses in a way in that depending on the leader, depending on where they're at, depending on who they work with and how curious they might be naturally, how can you show up and help them firstly see the value in, again, these in air quotes soft skills, but then practice them every single day by asking questions, by having conversations with other leaders, by empowering others. So it sort of is less like here is a bunch of hard skills to practice and more here is a series of soft, real human skills that we should cultivate and, and hone each day. Mm. Values that we need to embody, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what is the most stubborn trait that leaders have? The things you can't get them to stop doing? I think probably going alone. Hmm. So there's a, there's a really brilliant client I've been working with for the last sort of 12 months who has spent some time through the Obama Foundation Fellowship in Asia. And he tells this great story of listening to Michelle and Barack Obama giving a, an address to all of the fellows. And Barack Obama was saying, you know, there was a period of time, eight years, where I was the most resourced leader on the planet. And... I still couldn't quite get done what I wanted to get done. So my message to all you leaders is don't, don't tell yourself a story that you have to do this alone. Instead, find the others, connect with one another, work together, collaborate. So I think this, this stubborn trait I would observe is this story that leaders tell themselves around, I need to be the one doing this. I need to be the one with the answers. I need to do this alone. And I just think that it's, I mean, you hear it from Barack Obama, it's just not, not true. We, we know by now that together is better and working with one another and in service of a team is far more effective than having to do everything on our own. When it comes to coaching, mm-hmm. what, who's harder to coach? The, the new leaders, the inexperienced ones, or the ones who have been doing it for a while? I want to say, I want to say neither hmm. and add a, and add a third category, Please. which is those, those that want to be or are willing to be coached are the easiest people to coach. And that requires a level of humility. And to go back to our, our previous point, the ability to say, I know I don't have all the answers. And so I'm, I'm going to enlist a coach to help me work on my blind spots, figure out the parts that I need to develop and recognize that I can't do this alone. So sometimes they're older leaders, sometimes they're newer leaders, but it's almost less about how long you've been a leader and more about, are you growth-minded? Are you willing to be humble and have humility enough to say, I know I don't know everything and so I'm going to get people around me to help me? So... In listening to your many talks, um, some of which are available online, uh, one of the refrains that keeps coming up again and again is ask questions, hold space. What questions should leaders be asking of their teams and why is holding space such an important part of that? Mm. I think some of the questions that a leader should ask every day, honestly, if we go back to the idea of practicing leadership every day Mm -hmm. to their teams is 
you know, something like what's the hard part or what are you working on? And then holding space to hear what the answer is from that team member. I think a follow-up question to that could be, and how can I support? Like, where do you need me? So there's this level, again, of humility of you tell me what you're working on. You tell me what the hard part is. And then you tell me, how can I support you? Because I'm here, I'm your leader, and I'm willing to support you. And then the hold space part, it's deliberately hold space, not listen, because Mm. holding space is more active. So really effective listening, as I'm sure many of the listeners are aware, is about active listening, which is mindfully and intentionally paying attention to what they're saying. And so I call that holding space. I borrowed that from a mentor of mine, Seth Godin, who talks about this idea of holding space for others so that you can find out what it is they're working on to go back to the questions, find out what it is that they need help with, and then you can help them with that. So yeah, it's very intentionally an active pursuit of, of holding space, of listening, as opposed to just you know, passively listening where you're still flicking through your phone or you're thinking about the next thing you're going to say. I think we've all had that, that experience in one way or another. Switching gears a little bit, mm. what is Sonder? And why should everyone be trying to get more of it in their lives? Mm. It's a nice transition because Sonder, S-O-N-D-E-R, I know sometimes when I say it with my accent, people are like, what did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a word that Seth actually introduced me to. Mm. And it's, it's an invented word from this guy who has a website called the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. And what he does is he, he invents words for things that he thinks should have words. And so Sonder, he defines as that profound moment, that profound realization when you realize that everybody else around you is living a life as rich and as vivid as your own. Everybody else has a noise in their head. Everybody else is dancing the dance between tension and hard parts and joy and the, and the lovely parts of our lives. And so Sonder is really that, just that moment of awareness of like, oh, everybody else, all these strangers that I see in my day to day, they're living a rich, complex life too. They have that story in their head too. It's a little mind boggling to think <laughs> about, but I think we've, it's, it's also very, um, it's a very common experience. I think that's it's right. lovely to hear a word that encompasses something that you you felt but never had a mm. word for. Um, in your own personal life, what what do you find triggers Sonder in your for you? Mm. I think often it can come about from perhaps a surprising moment that you might be telling yourself a certain story about someone else in a room or someone else in a meeting or someone else in a a workshop that you're running and then they might say something or do something that completely contradicts or is completely counter to the story you were telling yourself. So maybe I'll share a a quick example from from a talk I actually gave to the Influence Greatness conference. And so I was running a workshop earlier this year when back in the day when we we could have people in the same room. Mm -hmm. And there was about 15 really brilliant social change makers from Asia Pacific in the room. And so I was, you know, like doing my thing and facilitating the workshop and making sure I looked around at every person in the room. And I noticed out of the corner of my eye, it looked like one of the, one of the participants was asleep. And 
you might imagine the story that started going through my head, which was like, what is going on? You must be boring. This is terrible. It's going really badly. This person's fallen asleep. And so I like tried to ignore it and keep going. And eventually, you know, 10 or so minutes later, got back around in terms of my eye contact and saw him again. And I was like, oh no, he's definitely, he's definitely still asleep. This is, this is going terribly. And then I kind of had this thought of like, oh, well, how dare he? He's missing out. And like I created this really bizarre narrative in my head based on nothing other than just what I've observed. And the short version of the story is afterwards when we broke for lunch, he came up to me and was like, Pete, I just want to let you know that I've sat in hours and hours and hours of leadership development training before. And this has been one of the best sessions that I've ever attended. And I just want to let you know, I should have told you this at the start, I actually have narcolepsy. And so every now and then I might drift off. Usually it happens four or five times in a morning. I think I've only drifted off once today, which again is a testament to the session that you're running. And it was like being slapped across the face with the sonder. <laughs> Best compliment you've ever gotten. A, right, exactly. Like he had a completely different story, a completely different experience than the one I was telling myself. So it's these kind of surpri- surprising moments that we, I think a lot of people can relate to where you're like, oh, okay. I see that I just created that in my head. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I find that moments of Sonder often come about on public transportation. So I think there's a lot of people are missing out on that these days. (laughs) You can't just sit across from someone. Spend a bunch of time in New York when we could travel. I I usually go once a year for for work and and to catch up with some friends. And I get that profound moment of Sonder when you're like in an apartment building or in a hotel building looking out the window in New York and you're just like, look at how many lights and cars and people there are, and all of them have a story in their head, and it kind of gets a bit mind-bending. <laughs> and then you pull out the binoculars. <laughs> <laughs> so you are now working pretty much 100% remotely, like a lot of us. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you, you don't have any face-to-face talks. Um, how do you go about creating... Uh, a conducive culture to, to learning and self-reflection between people that might be thousands of miles apart that you can only really see and, and talk with, you know, through video chat like we're doing right now. Yeah. I, I think I've, I've been lucky in that I've worked remotely for about three years prior, prior to this year. So a lot of my clients are based in America. Some of my clients are based in Europe and then various clients scattered throughout Australia and so I've been exposed to and familiar with working remotely for some time. I think the, the trap, I guess, I see a lot of people fall into and the opportunity that exists, the trap being we try and replicate the same thing that we would get in person online. And it's because it's trying to be a replication. It's never quite going to be the same. It's never quite going to live up to that conference that you went to or that meeting that you had or the coffee that you had with a friend or when you know, people do Friday night drinks on Zoom, it's never quite going to be the same thing. The opportunity that exists is to look at the technology, something like Zoom and go, okay, so what could we do using Zoom that we couldn't do in person? And so my favorite example is breakout rooms. So if you take 20, 30, 40, even 10 people in a Zoom room, There is a function called the breakout feature where you can spit people into little groups of two or three or four and have them discuss a topic, have them brainstorm on an idea. 
and then bring them back. And you can do that with the click of a button. Now, if you had a conference of 100 people or 1,000 people or even 20 people and said, okay, everybody, find a partner, a group of two and go and have a conversation, like that would be chaos. It would be anarchy as everyone's trying to shuffle to find a quiet space. And so there are these little opportunities like that that I think exist for us to deliberately use the technology differently rather than trying to replicate the same thing that we had remotely. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I find that breakouts in conferences and talks like that are often some of the best experiences, but you're right. It's that shuffling in between where things can get, you lose time, you lose focus. And uh, yeah, it's great to be able to just click and everybody's together. (laughs) Yeah. Sticking with the pandemic focused questions, how do you stay curious when you're stuck inside socially distancing like a good human being? Mm. It's tricky for sure. And I think everybody has had a moment where I think we need to acknowledge and, and just say out loud that just like, you know, events that we try to create in person, do them remotely, working constantly at home and remotely is not going to quite be as creative, I don't think, and quite quite be the same as when we get to move around. I think creativity is really about seeing other inputs, having other inputs, being able to connect dots. And when you're forced to or choosing to be surrounded by the same inputs day after day after day, your creativity can suffer. So, I mean, really tactically, something that I do is I try and have a desk for work and a desk for like writing, journaling, reading, and I try not to mix the two. So if I am hopping on a call to record a podcast with you, I'm at my work desk. If I want to just do some morning journaling about where I'm at, how I'm feeling, what I might do today, I'll go to a separate part of my my house, my apartment, and do that. And so I'm trying to, I guess, trick my brain into associating certain parts of my house or my apartment with certain activities. Now that's been pretty helpful, but again, I've, I've recognized that it's not quite the same as, I think what we took for granted was, you know, using your example earlier, Andrew, of public transport. Even that like sparks a level of creativity because you're seeing someone else, you're telling yourself a story about the person reading the newspaper who you've never seen a newspaper for the last six months and this person's on their phone and this person's reading a book. And so you're getting these inputs, which is feeding your creativity. So there are things we can do and there's the acknowledgement that it's tough, like it's hard. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of difficult situations, uh, what advice do you have for the leaders out there who are, still scrambling a little bit to address their cultural inequities or, or opportunities mm. with this new landscape. Do the same rules hold true or are we just in uncharted territory? I think the same rules hold true in terms of general postures and, and attitudes of leaders. And so we talked a little bit about this earlier of, of humility being one. I think that's really important is if you can have a leader who openly admits at the moment, you know what, we're figuring this out on the fly. I don't quite know what we're doing and if it's working because I've never navigated a global pandemic, then that I think builds trust. There's a level of transparency to how a leader is navigating a situation that that builds trust. So I think being mindful of that 
and going back again to one of the things we talked about, not pretending like you know what you're doing and you know exactly the right answer for this given situation because you're the leader, actually having the humility to be able to openly say, I'm figuring this out, we're all figuring this out, and then invite inputs from from team members to say, here's the, you know, here's the vision. We want to be able to still maintain our culture. We want to be able to work effectively. We want to still support work-life balance. So what do you think? What are your ideas? And actually trying to co-create that experience as opposed to, again, just pretending like you know the answer and then kind of pushing that message down the line. I think there's a, there's a real opportunity here for co-creation of what's working. Yeah. And I gather that uh, empathy might be the most important thing that they can uh, showcase or express in order to, you know, get that kind of trust and, uh, and vulnerability, right? Yeah, I think one of the, if it fe- this feels like a strange thing to say to start a sentence, but one of the best things from the pandemic, <laughs> which again, not like dismissing how bad it's been, has been in my, from where I'm standing, I've observed a lot more leaders leading with a lot more empathy. And I think that can only be a good thing where you have leaders now starting a meeting by checking in with their team member saying, hey, what's it like to be you right now? What's going on? Oh, I can see you've got a map in the background. Tell me about your map. And you start to get these little connections that wouldn't happen otherwise because you showed up empathetically, you asked questions and you held space and that builds connection. So I think that's been one of the positives. There's an increased focus on mental health And I think that's a real positive of like now we're aware of it even more and we're willing to talk about it openly as leaders and and as employees. And I feel like that's a really important step in the direction of empathy. And again, going back to real skills of, of showing up generously to help your team members, not just we're here to do the work. I don't really care about how you're feeling and what you're working on. Hmm. So like any good thought leader, you have a podcast, which you host. <laughs> you host alongside actor uh, Jen Waldman, uh, called "The Long and the Short of It." What drew you to podcasting, and uh, how did you end up doing it with someone who's halfway around the world? So Jen and I actually met through Seth Godin's Alt MBA. Hmm. So I was coaching the session that she was a part of, and she. We, her and I struck up a relationship and we, we did, some, did some coaching through that workshop as, as is part of the, of the workshop. And at the end of it, it's quite funny actually, she said, I don't know if this is appropriate, but I think I need you in my life. So could we, could we like keep you know, these co- coaching conversations going? And so she became a client of mine. And that was how our collaboration, if you like, started. And the short version of that story is we eventually became friends and we, we went from catching up once a month as client and, and coach to catching up once a week as friends to just talk about all of this kind of stuff, leadership, culture, creativity, innovation, her background in the arts, my background in corporates and startups. And we kind of got to the point where she was, she'd been talking to me about, I think I want to start a podcast. And I was saying to her, I think I want to start a podcast. And then one day she just said to me out of the blue of like, we should be recording these conversations that we're having once a week. And this should be our podcast. And she's five foot one and I'm six foot seven. And so she sent me a message one day like, oh, by the way, our podcast is going to be called The Long and the Short of It. <laughs> and, and so it was born. And so, yeah, it, it, it happened again, pre all of us working remotely. We just started doing a remote podcast because we thought, I guess you can just click record on Zoom and see what happens, right? Mm-hmm. 
and you know, a hundred plus episodes later, here we are. What do you love about doing the podcast, and mm. what annoys you about doing the podcast? I love the flip side. Yeah, the the thing I love about it is it's something I would do even if no one was listening. So we don't script our podcasts. We don't tell each other what we're going to say until we hit record. And so the skill set of having a conversation, unpacking a topic, I ask Jen questions and I hold space for Jen and she does the same for me. That skill set is helpful to me as a leader, to me as a coach, to me as a speaker, to Jen as a coach, to Jen as a leader, to Jen as a speaker. And so regardless of whether anyone's listening, we're actually honing our skills and we are learning and growing by having these conversations. So we get to, like, I would do it even if no one was listening and we were doing it when no one was listening. So I, I love that growth mindset aspect of it. In terms of the flip side, <laughs> what don't I like about it? That's a great question. I think, I mean, I think it's a bit, a bit like, I want to say a little bit like social media and the stories that we can sometimes get caught up in, which is how do I grow the audience? And how do we get more listeners? And how do we, how do we you know, capitalize on what our listeners are interested in? And I, I do catch myself, like I think a lot of us, getting caught up in more downloads, more metrics. And I don't, I don't actually like that at all. I think if I go back to the thing that we like doing the podcast for, we, we don't necessarily mind if the listenership grows. So there's this weird tension of knowing that but you're surrounded by a culture and a world that is like, you need more metrics, you need more of this, you need more downloads. And so I definitely find myself getting caught up in that. And then I like find myself beating myself up for getting caught up in that, so mm-hmm. that weird tension. How is this conversation going to play with the audience? <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. Uh, I'm now thinking that maybe I shouldn't have uh, prepped any questions for you and just winged it. <laughs> <laughs> What's one thing about how your workplace culture has changed in the last year that surprised you? So, as I mentioned, I've always worked remotely, except most of my clients have not. So, the novelty of them being like, oh, whoa, what's this? Is this a Zoom call? What does a Zoom call look like? And I have to go through and explain, we're going to do this remotely. You can dial in from wherever you want. That was a novelty a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, for sure. But even even a year ago. And so what's changed is now that is not a novelty at all. That is a, uh, an expectation which has been great in some instances. There's a lack of friction because people are like, oh, of course, a Zoom call, I get it. But also, you know, from time to time, it, it works out to be a detriment because they might have come from a culture where we don't put our video on on a Zoom call. And so you have to try and be like, okay, so we're going to do this Zoom call without a video on because that's what you're used to. So there's definitely been that change which has impacted the way that I've coached and worked with leaders around the world. Yeah. Who's the best boss you ever had? The best boss I ever had. I'll go with the first thing that comes to my mind, which is Rich Wilkins, who is still a friend of mine. I caught up with him for coffee last week. And he and I used to work together actually at a company that is now owned by OC Tanner Accumulate, which was a company that I spent a bunch of years working for with him. And he did a really, really good job of recognizing that I don't think I was a great employee because I was a bit <laughs> I was a bit like, why should we do things the way we've always done things? I want to do this. I want to jump on a whiteboard. I want to, you know, challenge things a little bit, which was not very receptive to 
a, a workplace <laughs> and he did a really good job of harnessing that and like letting me go into a, a room with a whiteboard and just setting me free. So yeah, if I go back to, you know, the paper round being empowered to ha- and have the autonomy to get the job done in the way that you saw fit, Rich Wilkins did a, a really brilliant job of that and I'm forever grateful. If you could snap your fingers and remove a corporate buzzword or phrase from the universe, what would it be? Let's set up a meeting. <laughs> it would be, let's set up a meeting. I think that is... No more meetings. Yeah, no, well, not, not necessarily no more, but I think less, less for sure. We default, we often default to, let's set up a meeting because it's easy. It's the natural reaction. And I challenge... at least of the meetings that we have, I don't think are required if we're really honest with ourselves and are able to, we could get the same result, if not a better result, without the need to have a bunch of us on a a call for an hour or so. So I would try and remove, let's set up a meeting. Certainly 60% of the length of the meetings is unnecessary. (laughs) Totally, exactly, exactly, yeah. Who are your heroes? We mentioned Seth Godin. Mm-hmm. I would say he's a, a mentor and a hero of mine in the space of leadership and, and certainly culture. I think Jen, Jen Waldman, who again we mentioned, who is my co-conspirator and, and co-host on the podcast that I have, the, her, her brain and the way that she thinks and operates is just so inspiring to me. I think Brene Brown is, is another one who I really resonate with and refer to a lot. Her work, her vulnerability, her podcast, the way that she shows up is very much, I know this is helpful because of the research. I also know that it sucks and I don't necessarily want to do it. And I really appreciate that honesty and, and that rawness. And then I think, I mean, in terms of heroes, I think my parents, I, I've, I've really appreciate and respect, especially as I get older, who my parents are, what they did for us kids, how they, you know, introduced us to certain things like a paper round, how they empowered us to do the activities or start the jobs or the projects that we wanted to. I think my parents would, would definitely be in that list of heroes. Who are your villains? Ooh, a villain. You don't have to think, name names. Yeah, I won't name names. I think anyone, oh, villain sounds like such a harsh word, but let's go with it. Anyone who is resistant to empathy, I think I want to say. So I think that empathy is the, the number one superpower of great leaders, but also just great humans. It's fundamental to human connection. It's the way that we are able to understand what it might be like to be someone else. It relates very, very heavily with Sonda, which we spoke about. And so I think anyone who is resistant to that, anyone who is resistant to trying to understand what it might be like to be someone else, I would have a hard time. I would have a hard time calling them a hero. And so let's call them a villain. What's the last thing you read that really stuck with you? Uh, it could be a book uh, or an article, even a tweet. Mm. So I'm, I'm, I want to say a third of the way through this book called Legacy by James Kerr. And it's about the New Zealand rugby team, actually, funnily enough. I know we started with mm. a conversation about rugby. <laughs> We've gone full circle. So. <laughs> It's, it's about the New Zealand rugby team which are, who, are, who are considered one of the most successful. The All Blacks. Yeah, the All Blacks. One of the most successful teams of all time in any sport, in any code. And so James Kerr has done this, this book that is 
about far more than rugby. It's about the leadership and the culture within the All Blacks. And it is like page after page after page. I'm just folding over, highlighting, scribbling on. I just, I'm about a third of the way through and I'm probably going to have to transcribe the whole thing myself or rewrite the whole thing my, myself because I've written so many notes and, and rabbit-eared so many of the corners. So that is, yeah, that is a book that I, I'm loving and would highly recommend. What does your ideal workplace culture look like? Or do you already have it? Mm, that's a good question. I think if I was to try and summarize it really, really succinctly, it is a workplace where people are able to show up as themselves and feel like they belong as themselves. They don't have to pretend to be someone else. They don't have to act in a certain way that is different to who they are. They get to leverage their unique skill set and in doing so feel like they belong and are contributing to something. Now, I'm lucky in that my, technically my workplace culture is, is kind of me and my assistant or me and my collaborators. And so it's pretty small. <laughs> so I, I am lucky to say, yeah, I feel like I belong it's, because it's the company that I started. So I'm lucky in that sense. But yeah, I think in, in the broader context, it's about people feeling like they belong because of the fact that they get to show up as themselves. And finally, uh, if people want to get in touch with you, whether it's about coaching, podcasting, or what it's like being super tall, where can they <laughs> reach you? Uh, plug your heart out. Humanperiscope.com is the, is the website that is the one-stop shop for everything that I do. Human Periscope, because everything I do is about helping others see things they can't, which is true in my work, in coaching and speaking and podcasting but also literally true at six foot seven. I, I tend to be able to see things that a lot of people can't see, like, you know, on top of the refrigerator and in the high shelves of kitchens and whatnot. So humanperiscope.com. Pete, thank you so much for joining us on The Workplace. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. I've loved the conversation. Now it's time for Tangible Takeaways, where we take big ideas into the heart of a Category 3 hurricane at just under 10,000 feet in a NOAA Lockheed WP-3D Orion Hurricane Hunter, equipped with four Allison turboprops and a full suite of weather sensors, including C and X-band radars, GPS drop songs, thermometers, barometers, hygrometers, anemometers, and a cassette tape of Rafi's greatest hits in case the pilots get scared. The first is that leadership takes practice, especially when it comes to soft skills. You know, your empathy, your collaboration, your curiosity, your humility. But as Pete says, Practice for leaders isn't like practice for, say, cricket wicket keepers. It's not about drills and wind sprints. It's about asking questions and listening, really listening to the answers. Because the best leaders know they don't know everything. But they do know that by putting in the work to learn from their teams and understand what they need to succeed, they can drive results far better than if they led by decree. Coach Pete says, ask questions, hold space. Ask questions, hold space. Practice, practice, practice. 
The second is to cultivate sonder in your work life and your life life. Sonder is that profound moment when you realize that everybody else around you is living a life as rich and as vivid as your own. The person next to you in traffic. The person walking their dog in the rain. The person on mute in your Zoom call. We've all felt it. It's a striking reminder that no matter how different our lives are, we're all the same. Our interior lives are our own, but they're also a shared human experience. We're all stuck in our heads, trying to get out. Maybe that's a little frightening, but I see it as comforting. It's a slice of pure empathy, a la mode. The third is that if Pete is a human periscope, I'd like to be known as a human telescope. Great for staring into the night sky and contemplating the beauty and terror of the great expanse, filled only with nothingness and unfathomable fireballs as you internalize the utter unimportance of yourself. This episode was written and read by yours truly, with additional writing, production, and sound design by Daniel Foster-Smith. If you liked this episode, or even if you didn't, please rate, review, and of course, subscribe to The Workplace wherever you get your podcasts. The Workplace is sponsored by O.C. Tanner, the global leader in engaging workplace cultures. O.C. Tanner's Culture Cloud provides a single, modular suite of apps for influencing and improving employee experiences through recognition, career anniversaries, well-being, leadership, and more. If you want your organization to become a place where people can't wait to come to work in the morning, go to octanner.com.